Psalm 146 says, Blessed is he whose help and hope is in the Lord his God. For God upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord watches and sustains the orphans and widows. And James 1.27 reads, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The teaching of Jesus Christ is to look after those who cannot look after themselves. These texts give us a beautiful picture of God's work for his children and which in turn tells what he expects of us. In a sense, when sin entered the world, we all became orphans because sin caused a separation between us and God. The Book of Lamentations says we became orphans. But the good news is when we accept Jesus Christ into our lives, we are adopted back into God's family. And that's good news, isn't it? This is perhaps the main reason our hearts go out to those who are orphans in a physical or earthly sense. Before we go to the orphanage, let me tell you about a beautiful young girl named Irene. The pastor who was helping us with our orphanage work told me of a young church member who suffers from muscular dystrophy and is in a wheelchair. He told me how Irene had gone out in her wheelchair and handed out hundreds of handbills to invite people to the meetings. She was now back in hospital. She has to go there periodically. And the pastor told me that one of her desires was to own a CD player, which to us is just a simple thing. And so I went out and I bought a CD player and I went up to the hospital to see her with several CDs of her favourite music. Like many hospitals in the former Soviet Union, the relatives have to bring meals to the patient, otherwise they don't eat. And the patients have to buy their own medications and bring them to the hospital with them. I thanked Irene for the wonderful work that she had done with the handbills. Now, even though she can only speak through a hole in her throat, and even though her disease is incurable, she was an inspiration as she expressed her desire for the people of her city to learn about God. Next, we went to visit the orphanage where we were met by the director, a very fine lady doctor. This orphanage has 300 orphans aged from babies to three years. They took us first to see the babies and like babies everywhere, they were adorable. I immediately fell in love with two beautiful baby girls, twins. And as I held them both in my arms, I wondered how could the parents ever give them up? Most of the babies were healthy, although pale and a little underweight. Their pale color is mostly a lack of sunshine and vitamins. Another threat to their well-being, of course, is the pollution in the water, the air, and in their food. Next, we visited their playroom, their laundry, and the hospital room. 
Even though they don't have a lot of furniture or equipment, all the workers seem to be very caring. We went next to the dining room where we helped to feed some of them. There we fed a poor little girl who was born without ears. Most of them were very curious about them, so I don't think they get many visitors. There was one very friendly little girl who I really, I could have brought her home with me. Her name was Ula. She grabbed hold of my hand and wouldn't let go, so I played with her for a few minutes and then I helped to feed her her soup and bread. What a delightful time we had in that room. I wish you all could have been there with us. Why do babies tug at heartstrings? Mainly, I think, because they are so dependent on us. Their vulnerability stirs a God-given urge in our hearts to love and to protect them. I had found out the week before that they needed a hot water system, a steriliser for the baby bottles and other medical instruments, and a bundle of nappies, naturally. And I want to thank all of you who made it possible for us to supply all of those needs. There is a text that says that it's more blessed to give than to receive. But how can we ever outgive the Lord who has given so much to us? Dear friends, may God help us to be grateful and joyful givers, grateful for our blessings and joyful to share them with others. topic today is preaching to the Cossacks. Here is a letter. I experienced great happiness after attending your meetings. My husband was often drinking, swearing, driving me and my children from home. But a tremendous change occurred. My husband is regularly attending your meetings and today he was baptized. During this time, he changed. He quit drinking, became calm and kind, signed by the wife of this former drunkard. Today, I'm going to tell you the story of preaching to the Cossacks in Zaporozhye, their headquarters in the land of Ukraine. That for me was a new experience. I got more than I bargained for. Firstly, I want to talk to you about the message that changes hearts and lives. I want to say to people who are watching the telecast, if you've got a problem with drinking, there is power to give it up. If you're in a situation and it seems hopeless, there is hope in the most hopeless set of circumstances. Would you please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ephesians and chapter 2. This will be the base of my discourse today. The book of Ephesians chapter 2. I invite every person here to take a Bible 
And to follow the texts, this is a Bible-reading, Bible-believing, Bible-obeying church. Ephesians 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the way of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. These words were written, obviously, to the Ephesians. That's why the book is called Ephesians. It was a wild, lawless, pagan city with a great shrine to a pagan goddess. It was a tough place, not unlike the city of Zaporozhye, the headquarters of the Cossacks. So the Bible tells us that God took the people in Ephesus and by his grace, he changed them marvelously as he did with people in the city of Zaporozhye. Now you may ask the question, what makes our faith different? What makes Christianity different? Is our faith different to that of the Muslims and the Jews and the Hindus? What makes our faith different? One word, you know what it is? Grace, grace. We're not saved by our works. We're not saved because we're good enough. We're not saved because we've kept the commandments. We are saved by the grace of God and grace alone. Christianity teaches some marvelous truths that are completely unique. Number one, we can't save ourselves. Going on a pilgrimage will not make us any more righteous or any better. We can't save ourselves by all of our works. Number two, we need a savior. We are lost without a savior. 
And number three, Jesus is the Savior. And the Bible tells me in another place that there's no other name in the whole universe given to men by which we must be saved. We are not saved by Muhammad. We're not saved by Kali, one of the gods or goddesses of the Hindus. We are not saved by Moses, who under God gave us the Ten Commandments. We are saved by faith alone in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I told the folks in Zaporozhye a grand old story that I may have told you before, maybe even on several occasions. It is the story of Roaring Camp. This happened here in California in the gold rush. They called it Roaring Camp because all the people were roaring. Just a bunch, bunch of men, no women, cursing, swearing, dirty, filthy. They got so far away from civilization they, that they stopped bathing. They didn't even clean their clothes. They didn't change their beds. They spent their time cursing and swearing. Then a Wells Fargo vehicle pulled by horses came along bearing a precious load. A young man, his wife, and a little baby boy. It passed within a few miles of roaring camp. And as it came down the hill, it got out of control and it rolled over and over. And everybody was killed except the little baby boy. And when some of the miners heard about the tragedy, they went out and they picked up this beautiful little baby boy in all his finery and they took him back to the camp. What would they do with him? They had a vote. They would believe us in the democratic process, nothing else. They had a vote and they selected one grisly old miner to be the father and the mother to this little baby boy. They put the little baby in his arms and when he held the baby, he felt so filthy. <laughs> and he said, I, I can't carry, well, they said, you better clean yourself up. So for the first time in about a year or two, he had a bath in the river. It was hard getting his undershirt off because it sort of grown into the skin. But after a while, they, they scrubbed it off. And then, he, not his skin, but the undershirt or the singlet. Then they took him into his hut with the baby. All the miners stood around. What a filthy hut. There was food partly rotten, on the floor. And so the men said, we better clean up this dump. So they cleaned up the dump, they scrubbed it, and then the bed looked particularly filthy, so they cleaned the bed, and they took the sheets and the blankets down to the river, and they scrubbed them with soap. Then they put the baby on the bed. And the other miners looked at each other, and they said, how filthy you are. 
And so every miner in Roaring Camp took a bath and had a shave and cleaned up his hut. They called the baby, this is a part of America's history, they called the baby the luck. They said when he came into our camp, he changed our lives and he brought us luck. There was no luck about it. It was simply the grace of God working through a little baby. 2,000 years ago, our little baby came into this world. Wherever he goes, to your home, to my home, or to Zaporozhye, he cleans us up. He makes us into new people. That's why we preach this wonderful gospel of the Lord Jesus. Would you look at, please, Ephesians 2 and verse 12, on the same page, Ephesians 2. The Bible describes people without Christ. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. This is a truth that most people in my church do not believe, or at least if they believe it, they do not follow it through to its logical conclusions. People have come to me and they have asked me with a funny look on their faces. Why do you go on these great expeditions to these dreadful countries? Look at me, I'll tell you why. Men and women without Christ are lost. Men and women immersed in religion without Christ are lost. People without Christ like atheists are lost, the Bible teaches. I had a pastor say to me once, this is the most dreadful sermon I've ever heard. He broke down and he wept. He was the leader of a great congregation. He broke down and he wept. He wept. His wife became so enraged that she ranted about the dining room after we'd talked about this, after she'd heard me preach on this. She said, it's a dreadful sermon because if it is true, what then shall we do? You know what they did? They started to preach Christ. Because without Christ, every person is lost. We are not saved because we are good enough. We are not saved because of our religion. We are not saved because we join a church. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through the blood of the Lord Jesus. And that's why we go to these places. This was my 12th major city-wide campaign in the former Soviet Union my 26th or 27th or 28th visit, I don't remember now. 
And besides 12 major campaigns, I've had the privilege of conducting another 12 or so smaller campaigns there. Saporozhye is a city of around 900,000 people. It was founded in the year 1770. The word Zaporozhye, can you say it? <laughs> Not too bad. You know, I find all these words very hard to say. When I was a little boy or of six or seven, when I was going to school, I could not put two words together. My speech was so bad and so slurred and so incomprehensible to the intelligent ear that my mother took me to a place for the deaf and the dumb, as they called it in those days. And I can remember everybody doing sign language and I didn't want to do this. And the doctors after giving me a careful examination said, Mrs. Carter, he's physically fine, he's lazy. <laughs> and more specifically, the doctor said, Mrs. Carter, he has a lazy tongue. But I have practiced since then. The word Zaporozhye means the place behind the rapids. And there across the Dnieper River is a massive dam built today. One of the greatest dams in the world. Zaporozhye is a city of fine tree-lined boulevards. They boast that they have the longest street in all of Europe. It is called Lenin Street, as you would expect. And the old man is still standing there with his arm outstretched, but this time he's saying, come to the Carter Report meetings. <laughs> it is a city of beautiful churches. The Orthodox Church has gorgeous, wonderful churches. And there is a fine Roman Catholic Church that is somewhat under siege fine Roman Catholic Church with a fine leader there. And the Seventh-day Adventist Christians are there and they have a nice little building until recent times the Adventists and everybody else besides the Orthodox were banned and persecuted by the communists in Zaporozhye. It is a city that is not really friendly to the preachers of the gospel. In fact, our church members were actively persecuted. Our pastor was taken. I met him, an old, fine Christian, gray-haired gentleman. He was tortured for his faith in Zaporozhye. But today, the Ukrainian government has decreed freedom of religion. And so in every city of Ukraine where you can get permission from the local mayor and governor, it is free to go and preach. It is not like America or Australia where you just go and hire an auditorium. Wherever you go over there, you've got to get permission, not only from the state government, but you've got to get it from the governor and the mayor and every other person, every other official. The communists are still doing business in Zaporozhye. When Vadim and I were out walking recently on a pleasant Sunday, we came upon a communist parade. 
I said, Vadim, let us go and talk to them. He said, not today, <laughs> because they were quite irate about the preachers of the gospel. But the communists are there. As you first come into Zaporozhye, there is a large factory. And there are these great billboards showing the old communist flag, the hammer and the sickle. The first thing you see when you come into Zaporozhye. And the communists are once again making a very wonderful, in quotes, contribution to the welfare of the people of Ukraine. The factory makes only one product, and that is vodka. You'll be interested in knowing, too, that the Russian Orthodox Church makes a significant contribution to the well-being of the people over there. It is the biggest importer of alcohol and tobacco products into the former Soviet Union. That's how they build their churches with alcohol and tobacco. What a terrible thing. There are many people who are drugged by the worst drug of them all, alcohol. In America we say, you know, we must take a stand against drugs. I say, amen. Let's start with the greatest drug of them all, alcohol that destroys more lives than all the other drugs put together. When Vadim, my dear friend, and I were out walking, we got lost. And we found a little boy who was willing to give us some directions. He was 10 years of age, and he was as drunk as could be. 10 years of age, and he was as drunk as can be. The city of Zaporozhye, like many cities over there, has great smokestacks. This is the legacy of the atheists who raped the environment. From my hotel, I could count 50 great smokestacks within a mile or two. And when the wind blew it away from us, we were fine. But when the wind blew it toward us, it was hell on earth. The people there are subject to hundreds of thousands of tons per year pumped into the atmosphere. Whenever the Bible is rejected, my friend, there you have the degradation of the human race. Thank God you live in America. Now, this city is the home to the Cossacks. The name Cossack brings many images to mind. Colorful, brave warriors on horseback charging the soldiers of Napoleon, fighting later on the communists, joining forces with the Nazis, even though they were Russians and Ukrainians. The word Cossack, Cossack, means a free man, a man who is completely free and will be subject to the laws of nobody. During the 16th century, Ivan the Terrible, 
what names they had for their czars. <laughs> Ivan, Vadim called him Ivan the Horrible. But most of us call him Ivan the Terrible because we wished not to be too hard on him. Ivan the Terrible, the Tsar, lost Ukraine or Little Rus, Little Russia, to Poland. And when the Poles invaded Ukraine, they brought the Roman Catholic religion. And this sparked a violent reaction. Russians and Ukrainians unwilling to surrender their faith. The faith of the Russian Orthodox Church fled to the island of Zaporozhye. And so in the Dnieper River there, below the dam, there is the largest island in Europe. A beautiful, large island, a natural fortress. And this is where the Cossacks set up their fort, and this is where they did their business. They were very religious, but not so pious. Did you know this? The people who've caused the greatest strife in the world, who have persecuted the most, who have pillaged the most, are religious people. Like the Muslim fundamentalists. And like the great church of the dark ages. And the state church of Russia today. The Cossacks engaged in drinking robbing and attacking and burning Roman Catholic churches. And so from the island of Zaporozhye, they would go forth to throw out the hated foreigners. They became the defenders of the Orthodox Church. I say religious, but not pious, like many, many religious people. They had a form of godliness but they denied the power of the gospel. They became the czar's men in putting down rebellious uh, people. They built their reputation upon a foundation that contained three great building blocks. Number one, loyalty to Mother Russia, nationalism. The flag, the flag, the flag. My country, right or wrong. Number two, hatred of the West. And number three, fanatical support of the Orthodox Church. And these people, the Cossacks, these brave warriors, misguided, have become the greatest persecutors of the preachers of the gospel especially from America. So when I visited with my team, what a wonderful team I have, Saparaja, I walked into a hornet's nest. The meetings received continual opposition. Every day the newspapers controlled by the Orthodox Church carried articles attacking us. And they attacked by fair and foul means. They accused us of being a dangerous American cult. But I said, that can't be so because I'm an Australian. 
<laughs> but they said, these people are from the West, like the Poles, who came to do away with our holy faith. The articles in the newspapers were written by the same editors and reporters who 15 years ago were writing articles for the communists. And the articles were filled with falsehood, 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 lie, lie, lie. Now we wondered, how shall we counter-attack? What shall we do? But we made a decision that we would not respond and let God be our defender. Now the Bible talks about the accuser of the brethren. And the Bible says that the accuser of the brethren was cast down and he went about filled with fury because he knew he had but a short time. Therefore, we knew that we were fighting a dying defeated foe. Jesus spoke about Satan who was a liar from the beginning. And we were conscious of the fact that lies are the weapons of the prince of darkness and his disciples, but God is greater than Satan. Now, let me tell you something. Whenever the gospel of Christ in its purity is preached with power, it stirs up the devil. The devil is alive and well on planet earth and he has many disciples. But God is greater than the devil. Come over here to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 in the Holy Scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and I want to read to you from the words of the greatest theologian in the New Testament beside our Lord and a man who was also the greatest evangelist. 2 Timothy chapter 4. In the presence of God, verse 1, and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead to suit their own desires they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations endure hardship do the work of an evangelist discharge all the duties of your ministry. And then he comes to verse 14. He says, Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. Paul forgave Alexander, but he did not forget the evil work he'd done for the, against the church. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. Verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength 
so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear the word. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. I want to say to all my supporters who are watching this television program and to all the church leaders who may see it, if there is no opposition when we preach, it is because what we are preaching is not worth opposing. And we say in America, thank God for our time of peace and safety. Thank God for our prosperity. Our prosperity and our peace and safety are the signs that we are not preaching the word as we ought to preach it. That is the word of God. The Bible says that Paul was under great stress and being persecuted, but the Bible said, Paul said, but God. And whatever happens to you and to me in this world, whatever the persecution, whatever the hatred, whatever the opposition, remember the words, but God. But God. Something bad may happen to you, but God. And God is stronger than Satan. Never forget, but God. We opened with a crowd of 8,000 people, which was remarkable, in the fortress of the Cossacks. But then the opposition opened up with a barrage of lies and slander every day, full pages in the newspaper with my picture adorning the page. These people over there, many of them, are still afraid. They're afraid of the communists. They were, and now they're afraid of the Orthodox Church. So people there are not used to freedom, and they're afraid. And for the first time in my experience preaching over there, we had a falling away quickly in the audience. They said, if you go, those people are the most dangerous American cult. We do not want Americans here. We do not want an American influence. But what would they do, I wonder, without American money? And so there came an upcry, we do not want American religion here. But I said to the team, anybody can be strong and carry on when everybody is shouting your praises. This is our time to stand fast and not waver and preach on And we will not say one word of doubt or discouragement because we're called to be soldiers. And by the second week, the audience started to come back. (laughs) And when I made my first altar call, 1,500 people in the city of the Cossacks came running down the front. 
1,500. Glory be to God. I want to tell you something else. It was the most remarkable audience I've spoken to. I've spoken to audiences in Moscow, St. Petersburg, Nizhny, Novgorod, uh, Dzinsk, uh, Irkutsk, Kiev, Nepropetrovsk, uh, Kharkov, Odessa, other places. I've never spoken to an audience like this. Look at me and I'll tell you why. In this vast audience, still thousands of people coming. When I say it fell away, we still have thousands left. <laughs> Listen now. Quieter than that. No air conditioning, so no noise. Now the air filthy. I thought everybody would have consumption. Everyone would be coffee. No coffee. In every other campaign, when I say we're going to have prayer, the benediction, the old babushkas charge the doors because they've got to get buses home. So there's always noise at the end of my meetings, even during prayer. But in this place, not a murmur. And then a little while later, I had an appeal for baptism. Now, I will tell you, quite frankly, I had no idea what was going to happen. I thought, what's going to happen? These people have been attacked. The Cossacks, the Orthodox Church, have tried to poison their minds. So I had an appeal for baptism and went further I gave to every person a card. Write down your name. Because this is a covenant between you and God to follow Christ. And 936 people put their names on the line. Can you say amen to that? Amen, amen to that? And then we had an altar call and they came down the front. You say to me, describe it. Tell me. And people say to me, why do you make altar calls? Isn't that old-fashioned? Yeah, but I'm an old-fashioned guy. And the Bible is an old-fashioned book. And we have old-fashioned success. <laughs> because an altar call helps people to make a decision. They're doing something. The very fact that they're moving forward, maybe in a hostile environment, shows that they're taking a stand publicly. And if you can't make a stand publicly for Jesus, it's not worth anything. Let me tell you what the people are like. 1,500 people coming down the front, standing around the altar. Lots of young people. Teenagers. <laughs> Teenagers. Lots of old babushkas crossing themselves because of their background. Hey, don't be hard on them. They're showing faith in God. Lots of young couples, maybe with babies. People raising their hands. Lots of tears. Lots of crying. You've got to look into the faces of these people. And then you'll see, but God. People say, well, we don't see it here in America. Well, there's a reason. Because in America, we don't have faith in the church. We don't believe it can happen. And we spend money on committees, big buildings, and conferences, and pour billions into those, millions and millions. 
I want to tell you, if we had faith in America, it would happen here. Thousands coming forward to give their lives to Christ and to keep the commandments. Let me tell you some of the people. It was Professor and Mrs. Edward Koloschuk. He was and is the director of scientific research center in Zaporozhye. And the center is on Cossack Street. <laughs> he came to see me, unbeliever. He said, I'm working on an alternative method of producing energy. This is a top-notch scientist with doctorates and so forth. But you can be a top-notch scientist and be just as empty inside. And you are without God. We baptized him and his beautiful wife. In fact, in the first baptism, we baptized that we know of three university professors. People say, but that couldn't happen in America. Well, maybe it couldn't happen until we folks get converted and start to believe and obey the word of God. Let me tell you about some of these people. There were people with great physical needs, like a 16-year-old girl. Now, one night, I had, it was hard preaching there. It's so, it was so hot. My suit would be drenched through. Vadim would be struggling to keep going. Two sessions, one after another. No air conditioning, just hot, polluted air. And we were struggling to keep going ourselves to preach hard. Beverly said, you've got to come and see this girl. I said, not now. Even Jesus needed rest. Well, Jesus did. He said, come apart into a desert place and rest a while. Jesus wasn't always preaching. Because it's the hardest work. If you're pouring your heart out, unless you've done it, you don't understand it. But those who've done it understand how it takes it out of you. But I walked out anyhow because I was under orders. <laughs> you men know what I'm talking about. Maybe we could start up the Cossacks here. What do you think about that? These free men. But anyhow, not, let's be serious again. Walk out and there's a girl. She's 16. She looks about eight. She was meeting with the tiny little children. She wouldn't go in with the teenagers. She was an awful sight. Her hair's falling out, didn't have cancer, but a skin disease. Body can't metabolize certain vitamins. I held her hand. I prayed for her. Then I said, but what's the good of praying for this girl? What are we doing? What are we doing? Church members said, we're trying to save up to buy ointments. She's scratching, skin's bleeding, every part of her body. It's like she's on fire. I thought to myself, in God's name, what are we? What are we? Can we turn away this girl? I said, buy the stuff, buy the stuff. We don't have it in our budget, but buy the stuff in God's name. They came to me and they said, we baptized a girl. She's 20. She's a beautiful girl. She got cancer. She was in a, a ward, a room with six people. Five, they, they've all died. She's, she's an orphan. This girl, also with the skin disease, she had no parents. Her mother is a prostitute. But this other girl, I said, 
Has she been treated? Yes, but they ran out of money. Was the treatment working? It seemed to be working, but we've run out of money. In the name of God, let us pay for the chemo, whatever it takes. Not in the budget. God have mercy on us. These were the people. I have made a vow never to turn a deaf ear. I can't save the world. I've had cynics come to me and say, boy, who do you think you are trying to save the world? I can't stand those humbugs. I really can't stand them. I don't want to talk to them. You think I'm intolerant with them? Yeah, sure am. I can't save the world, but I can save the people that God puts along my pathway. And I'm going to do that. I wish you could see thousands of upturned faces with tears, upraised hands, young couples, teenagers, old people, lives being changed by the grace of God. Over the years, I've taken hundreds of Americans and Canadians and Australians with me. This year, two special people came, Pam and Jimmy Rhodes from Tennessee. They sang, Pam sings like an angel. Jimmy played. What a blessing. Others over the years have come, like Miriam Virgin. She's no longer a teenager. She's come, I think, 10 or 12 times. Why do people come? To share the grace of God. Maybe you can't go, friend. Maybe you're too busy for God. But there's something we can all do. We can love these people. Love them. So how do we love them? Love them with your prayers. Love them with your money. I would not be saved if I said to that girl whose mother is a prostitute, I'm sorry, it's not on the budget. Maybe it's not on your budget. You better enlarge your budget for God. I'm going to read the letter again. Then with a P.S. I experienced great happiness after attending your meetings. My husband was often drinking, swearing, and driving me and my children from home. But a tremendous change occurred. I get hundreds of letters like these. My husband is regularly attending your meetings, and today he was baptized. During this time, he changed. He quit drinking, became calm and kind. But she goes on to say, This Sabbath, I was working, but I sincerely want to be baptized. Please help me. We need you. We need you. These people need you. And they need you. And they need you. I just pray as I think of the people watching, that God will do something to our selfish hearts, our cold hearts. We need you, she said. Amen.